Good evening. This is Peter Hammond in the studio for Africa Christian Action on Salt and Light for Radio Tigerberg. And as we approach September, we have been 27 years on the air every week on Radio Tigerberg since 1995, since the 1st of September, 1995. Praise God for 27 years of Radio Tigerberg and Salt and Light. In the studio with me is Ron Kruntz, Direct from America. Welcome. Well, thank you for having me again. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Ron, what brought you to the Lord? What got you involved in ministry like this too? Well, those are two different questions. Yes, but they, they are. They go, back to, they go back to the same source, the Spirit of God, of course. I, I had, from a very young age, had a fear that I was in trouble with the Lord. Nobody ever explained to me why that was. I mean, from a very, like I had three or four years old, I was terrified of the judgment of God. and But I never heard the gospel. And then I was at an open-air meeting once uh, 40 years ago or so, and the, they talked about hell openly and the, the judgment of God and the righteousness of God, the holiness of God. And I sat in the back just horrified as the, it felt like they were reading my diary. And as they gave the, uh, the, the call uh, to, to receive Christ, the idea that I didn't have to go there, that there was a, hit, a, a sacrifice had been made on my behalf, that an exchange had happened at Calvary. That was new to me. I had never heard such a thing. And I was so afraid. The, the fear of God was so in me that as I went forward at that altar call, I actually ran the last 15 or so meters and threw myself across the altar and just weeping mm. over my sin and my condition uh, before Christ. So that was that was the beginning for me. From there, I did what so many people have testified is I began reading copious amounts of Scripture. I couldn't get enough. And so I just poured over Scripture in those days. That was my, that was my launching point. So from the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, what brought you into being a bishop of souls, having a Hunger for soul winning and for winning people on the streets? Well, I, I identify with them as when you look at somebody, what I've found is, even from my own testimony, is you could not have seen the turmoil I was in just by looking at me. I looked like a normal, ordinary teenage boy at that time before I heard the gospel. You could not have known the amount of turmoil and stress that I was living with. Well, there's a world full of people like that. And they're going around and they look like reasonable people and they may have no outward signs of distress at all. But inwardly, they feel the, the, the reality of God's judgment. They know they're sinners. And the Bible says as much in Romans in the first chapter. They know they're sinners. They know there's a God. They know they're not thankful. And they need to be told that there's a way of escape. They also need to be told that there's a God in heaven before whom they must answer. And so I, sh shortly spoken, they are, I identify with them. More to the point even that, I, I acknowledge it. it's a command from God to make disciples of all the nations, do the work of an evangelist. So these are the things that move me. Well, the harvest is very large and the workers are far too few. That's a fact. Amen. In fact, it seems from, if we are to believe many of these polls, that 
less than 2% of churchgoers are involved in regular evangelism. Now, that sounds horrific enough, but when you find out what they're talking about, regular evangelism, it's on at least two occasions per year uh, sharing their faith. And they're saying it can be as low as 2%. I mean, it's just horrifying. Now, we're talking about church goes. We're not necessarily talking about people who are born again, on fire, filled with the Spirit. Uh, I don't know if it's possible to be filled with the Spirit and not be involved in evangelism because in the book of Acts, whenever the Holy Spirit fell on people, the result was they went out and proclaimed God's Word with boldness. So um, when you look at, at the fact that the vast majority of churchgoers are not actually involved in regular evangelism, what can account for that? How do you explain that? It's hard to imagine. We have a compromised gospel that people are coming. Compromised churches, compromised gospel. I mentioned this to you earlier today. Is In the United States, in Washington, D.C., for instance, we have two-thirds of the churches have rainbow flags out in front of them. They're completely being, they're being made disciples. And, and this is the thing about discipleship. It's either going to go one way or the other. Either we will make disciples or we will be made disciples. And what's really happening, what I believe attributes to that, is decades of us being discipled by the nations to turn our gospel into a socially acceptable gospel that the pagans like. And so we've been pandering to the pagans rather than seeking to please God. Well, the, the natural result of that is going to be a reluctance to evangelize because it's hard and it's, it brings fire. It brings trouble. I mean, people are not happy. I, I can tell you numerous times when I, I go out to a metro station with some people and we bring signs and we've got a, a amplification and that kind of thing. I may begin to quote scripture. This is, I haven't done anything. I'll just quote a little bit of scripture. I'll talk about the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. I don't get that far and people are telling me to shut up, go home, go back to your church. Well, we don't want that conflict. We don't want that trouble. But the servant is not greater than the master. And so we've got this whole problem with the way Christianity has been done. And I think that that's, attributes to that 2%, and I'm frankly surprised that it's that high. Well, I think the standards are quite low. Um, <laughs> we're not even saying what quality of gospel they're sharing, but, right, but, but right. it is disturbing because you've got two choices. You're either fearing God or you're fearing man. You're either trying to please God or you're trying to please man. Jesus said you're either gathering or you're scattering. Yeah. And the point is if we're not gathering people into the kingdom, we're actually scattering people away. So... Yeah. It's a serious thing to be disobedient to the Great Commission. We have a Great Commission from the King of Kings. One day we left to give an account. It's appointed a man once to die and after to face judgment. And so it's a very serious thing for Christians to think, ah, Great Commission doesn't apply to me. And uh, how do you seek to motivate and recruit people for the evangelistic outreaches you're doing out on the streets? Well, most of the people who come into my circle, I suspect, are like people who come into your circle. Uh, they're warriors. They, they're warriors without, without – they have a cause, but there's not enough people to lead them. If What I get a testimony about a lot is uh, people will say to me, if at their former church, they have absolutely no opportunities. There's nowhere to go. So I'll meet people on the street, and they'll say, wow. That's 
different, or I'll meet them in abortion ministry, and that's different. It's just very different. And we, we, I think what is helpful, been helpful to us, and I think it needs to happen, is we've gotten away from the truncated gospel. The truncated gospel that says, you know, me and my Bible, Jesus and my Bible and me and my prayer journal, and I go to church and that's it, and I'm going to escape one day from hell. We believe all of Christ for all of life. We really believe that he's the king. And so we begin pressing this into the uh, into, into our circles of influence in that as we do that, people gather onto that. Now, of course, uh, many would think it's a very scary thing to go onto streets and do uh, open air preaching or just even give literature to people passing by on the side. And, and of course, most think that everybody's going to be rejecting you and being abusive. But it's not actually like that. You do get positive responses, don't you? Get wonderful responses. And I, I believe that duty is ours and the results are God's regardless. But you're, you're absolutely right. Do, people do talk to you, people that you didn't think were going to talk. I know that I've had many, and this is to my own detriment. I've looked at somebody and said, oh, they don't want to hear this. And I've just assumed that they were not interested. And... But they were some of the best conversations I've had, some of the most receptive. You you can't you can't just you can't my I Presume. don't like the idea of quitting with the victory. You know, why are we running away with the victory? We should assume that God's keeping his word, that he's going to accomplish what he intends to accomplish with his with his word. And so oftentimes I've seen really turnabouts and people have really come under conviction. I, I'm thinking one time I was at a university and we were talking to, it was adult day. Nobody was really engaging. It wasn't hostile. It wasn't friendly. And there was this group of Muslims who had gathered and they were, they were just kind of watching us. And then this professor came, real pagan humanist professor, and she came and, and cussed us out. I mean, she just went on us one side, the other. How dare you be here? And how dare you say these things? And you don't know what these people are going through and all of these things. And, and uh, she got all tired and then went, well, that gathered a crowd. And so then I began to deliver the gospel to these Muslims and their eyes were so open to what I was talking about with Abraham. I went from Abraham and Isaac and the sacrifice and the Lamb of God. It was it was a really an epic moment that was provided because we're willing to be out there, and partly in thanks to that college professor. Now, I tried to find her again. I was going to give her twenty bucks to follow us around and yell at us again because she came to our aid. Really, she so there's lots of unexpected things that happen as you know when you go out on the street it's not scripted yes so actually many people think your biggest problem is opposition but our biggest op oppositional problems really apathy isn't it apathy is deadly but opposition can actually be wonderful i mean just think once saul was a persecuted church but he became the apostle paul and so the fact that he's opposing the church didn't actually make it worse. It made it better in the sense that uh, the people apathetic you can't do too much with, but the people in opposition might come over 
And we've had some exciting conversions like that, haven't we? Yes, we see that. Yeah, people, I mean, we were all enemies. When Nobody was neutral. Let's get away from that. Nobody's walking around neutral. Again, go back to Romans 1. Nobody's neutral. They, we're haters of God, unthankful, glorifying the creation rather than the creator and so forth and so on. We all start at a place of enmity, not the most, the most devoted saint who's been a believer for 50 years has is is came from a position of enmity. So yeah, we see great every conversion is a great conversion. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I, I the apathy is a problem, the fear is a problem. Mm-hmm. The the Bible, the most repeated command in all of scripture is to do not fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite passages is in in Hebrews and everybody knows the first half of this. We, where it says, he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And everybody knows that, but they don't know what comes after that. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Now, if you ask a group of a thousand believers and you say, fill in the blank, he himself has said, I will never leave you nor, they'll all say forsake you. But when they don't know why, they don't know that and you don't realize the power of God until you challenge that fear, until you trust him in in the place where you're afraid. Too many people want the fear to go away. They say, well, when the fear goes away, then I'll go into the work. But that's not how it works. The fear goes away when you go into the battle. That's when you see the power of God. Yes. In fact, the water in the Jordan didn't stop flowing until the priests with the Ark of the Covenant stepped into the river. And so often it is that uh, we need to launch on. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Indeed. Yeah. And, and, we, and part of our problem is, is that the industry of Christianity that, that, that surrounds what should be the covenant of, of, of salvation through Christ and the, it's, that undergirds the Great Commission is, accommodates that fear is that there is a program for you so that it's easy for people to say that's not my call so they can because there's a church who will give you other things to do little little tasks like uh, you can be on the welcome team you can be on the worship team you can be on the softball team you can be on all these little things which are not evil or bad except for they never will bring the light of christ into conflict with the world around us and so it's easy it's been made easy for us to to retreat i think it's in ephesians maybe in the fourth chapter when the bible talks about equipping the saints for ministry mm-hmm. what is that well is am i to believe that jesus was crucified, resurrected, is ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of God and lords over creation so that I could play on the softball team, that I could change the world by 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 being on the church welcome hmm. team. That's a pitiful response to his victory. It is pitiful. And when you think that in the last two years, we've had church people who thought the main job was to ensure that people were wearing masks that they'd written in the COVID cult requirement, things that they'd been tested, that they'd been inoculated, that whatever the social distancing have you sanitized. Imagine if they put that amount of energy into ensuring that every guest to the church 
knew the Lord, had a relationship with the Lord, that their hearts been sanctified by faith, that they've experienced the atonement of Christ. Um, imagine if we'd put the amount of energy and publications and printing and posters into evangelism and discipleship that was just put into this masquerade madness, lockdown lunacy, keep your distance, salvation by vaccination, COVID cult. And uh, it's insane. And unfortunately, a lot of churches felt the duty to do this, and they did it with more diligence. They had assigned people at the entrance to the church. My daughter actually had experience of bringing people, guests to the church, to be turned away at the door because they'd already had their uh, quota of 50 people, couldn't have 51, and sent them away. I mean, can you imagine? And like, who's standing over them watching them? I was, I don't think I was ever in the two years of this lockdown lunacy shouted at or rebuked by police or uh, even traffic police and so on. But by citizens and by nosy neighbors and oh, yeah. uh, lots of harassment. So isn't it interesting when you actually find the people, Christians even, with maybe a good clear conscience, thinking they're doing a good thing, where they're putting all their energy into enforcing Fauci's, Auchi, and the Wuhan Health Organization's COVID cult requirements. And uh, what a rebuke this has been, that many churches showed more diligence and attention uh, to what the World Health Organization wanted them to do than what our Lord Jesus Christ gives in the Great Commission. Well, the Bible says you can't serve two masters, but it also is clear that you can't serve zero masters. You remember when uh, Joshua said, choose this day who you will serve. He didn't say choose this day if you will serve. And so having rejected Christ as king, as the lawgiver, as, as the judge, then they replaced him with somebody else. You see this in... Uh, a good background for this is in Psalm 89, the 14th verse. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Those are hardwired. These issues of righteousness, justice, mercy, and truth, by being created in the image of God, those are hardwired into your fabric so that you may reject the Lord, but you will replace him with somebody else. And so that's what's really happened is we found another standard of righteousness, another standard of justice. And when we when we speak, for instance, uh, I was preaching at one of the Black Lives Matters marches, and I was appealing them to understand that their desire for justice was actually from God, but they had the wrong standard for justice. They didn't, un without, once we abandon the throne of God, we doom ourselves. But that's part of the problem, is we think we can, we can divide our, our allegiance between two different entities, and that is, according to Jesus Christ, who we say we worship, impossible. You cannot serve two masters, Jesus said. In fact, our Lord also said, no one is good. Uh, only God alone. And isn't it interesting how many people you meet on the streets who say, I'm a good person. You can even offer them, may I offer you something to read? And the person say, no, I'm good. And in that point, you can turn around and say, but Jesus said, no one is good except God alone. Don't you find interesting that before we were converted, we thought we were so good. I thought I was a good righteous. I was a goody-goody. When I got converted, I, uh, before I got converted, I should say, I would have said, I'm a good person. The longer I follow the Lord and the closer I get to the Lord, the more I realize I'm a wretched, mm. hell-deserving sinner. And I think that the first sin God convicted me of was lack of gratitude. And I'd never thank God for anything, nothing. 
uh, forget about food. I hadn't even thanked him for life. Um, and uh, his deliverance in different situations and my parents and uh, surviving bombings and all that in the Second World War. And I'd never said thank you to God for one. And I realized that night I went forward, the 3rd of April, 1977, at this evangelistic rally. And I realized if God was to throw me into eternity in hell right now, it would be just. Uh, I, I am a wretched sinner. And yet, isn't it interesting how many people think they're good people? Have you come across this as well? All the time. Yeah, all the time. And that's just arrogance and pride. And God gives grace to the humble, uh, but he resists the proud. And that's a great way to segue to the gospel is uh, I, I grant that they will say, you know, I'm good. They won't take your literature, won't talk to you. But there are those who will. But are you that good? Are you, are you, are you satisfied? Are you is, again, you don't know what's going on in their person, in their private world, how deeply disturbed they may be. They may say they're good, but they're not good. And they, and, and they do know they're not good. Yes. Now we, we're living in a world where a lot of people have been, uh, very much, uh, intimidated by all the different changes and, um, their businesses and maybe their incomes been dramatically impacted by all these lockdowns and everything else. Millions have been. And uh, we found a lot of lockdown lethargy. It's very hard to get people out in the streets and to do outreach and ministries because people have got used to, well, I'll do that remotely, thank you. Um, and they just want to be couch potatoes. And yet there's babies being killed and there's souls that are heading into a Christless eternity. And we've got an obligation, don't we? I mean, what should we as Christians be doing at this time? Well, we have to take on the wickedness in our midst. Stop letting it be. You don't want it to be said of you that this happened without you speaking up. Over in Proverbs, it talks about rescuing those who are staggering towards the slaughter. I'll find that. Proverbs 24. Mm. Yeah. Rescue those staggering towards the slaughter. I'll pick it up in the in the eighth verse or in the ninth verse. Uh, rescue those, eleventh uh, verse rather. Deliver those who are drawn towards death and hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, surely we did not know this, does not he who weighs the hearts consider it? He who keeps your soul does not he know it? And will he not render to each man according to his deeds? We have to reconcile ourselves that we're in a world that's coming unglued, and they're coming unglued for the lack of knowledge, for the truth of Christ, for the one source of redemption that there is in all the world. We're in this world that's rivaling his kingdom, this world that's but failing while they're doing it. They're failing. Uh, they're building, I call them, little towers of Babel, another tower of Babel, and they're failing, and people are pay placing their trust in these failed systems. We have the truth. We have the answer. We have the obligation to bring the truth into conflict, and there's a lot of ways to do that. We can give out gospel literature. We can do drop carding. I have drop cards, and we're drop carding everywhere, and we've in our church, we'll, we we'll play games with one another. We'll actually drop card one another's houses, you know, it is a, as an exhortation. Me in the post box. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. We're constantly keeping the pressure on, and that has not been happening. It, we have been happy to coexist, to live peacefully in the midst of a, a, a nation. Our nation, we kill 3,500 babies a day. That's 
staggering. I mean, you just can't get your mind around yes. that kind of guilt that's on us. We have been content. The church in the United States has been content to live at peace with that. We've got to break out of that. Yes. Well, I mean, that has been reprehensible and terrible. And by the way, in the last 25 years in South Africa, we've had 2 million South African babies killed officially by abortion, legally, Dear God. since 1997, which is horrific. But having said that, we just praise God that this year Roe v. Wade's been overturned and yeah. now states in America can legislate against abortion in their state. And that basically your Supreme Court has thrown this back to the local states and where it always used to be that each state can decide for themselves whether they're going to protect the most innocent, helpless citizens of all pre-born babies from the violence and injustice of abortion or not. And so... Uh, I think people in South Africa might have given up. We were getting vastly more people marching for life in South Africa before they legalized it. This might be very different from other countries' experience. Most countries in the world, like America, the pro-life movement really started after the legalization of abortion. In this country, we had a very strong pro-life movement before, and when they legalized it, suddenly uh, we had the, the people just disappeared. We were turning out up to 10 20, 30,000 people marching to Parliament to protest their plans to legalize abortion and so on. And the moment they legalized it, suddenly attendance in our life change dropped down to just a couple of hundred if you're doing well. And very small marches for life to the Parliament. So in our country, we find it's like people's attitudes, oh, it's legal, or oh, well, there's no hope we can't change it. I think the American experience just shows us you can have legalized abortion and you can beat it. Poland had it legal. And they overthrew it. Zambia had abortion legalized, and they overthrew it. Mm. So there is hope. I think maybe you could speak to those people in South Africa. See no hope that yeah, the plant changes. Absolutely. One of my problems with the way Christianity is practiced is we act like all of God's great works are in the past, as though He has done all the great things that He could do. There's nothing else for Him to do. Babylon fell in one day. Have you any idea? I know you do, uh, but listener, I mean, Babylon was so massive, so impenetrable. They used to do uh, chariot races on the top of the wall. It was deep. It went down to bedrock. It was absolutely impenetrable, and in one day, it fell. And we act like God can't do that anymore. He's not able to do that anymore. It's uh, it's astonishing to me the lack of faith. I I think part of that in in our world we've been now that Roe v. Wade has been overturned, we've been going to politicians, pro-life politicians, with a bill. We wrote a bill. We wrote a bill. Our church wrote a bill and to completely abolish abortion at the level of our state in in Virginia. This is what they're saying. These pro-life politicians are saying, well, we can't do that right now. Oh. They're saying, so they say, we're trying to, we're working for a 15-week band or a 20. They start with compromise. Now, you have a Bible in your lap. You're talking about the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the current, according to Revelation 1, 5, the ruler of the kings of the earth. And we say, all we can do is this. And that's a big, big problem. We've got to stop thinking about 
what the enemy will let us do. Over in 1 Corinthians and uh, 16th chapter, I believe it is, the apostle says, a great and effective door is open for me and there are many adversaries. I think we make a grave error in assuming that the adversaries spell defeat. The apostle connects the open door and the adversaries together and nowhere in all of the Bible is that more apparent than at the cross of Jesus Christ where he was surrounded by enemies and the greatest victory for all of mankind occurred at the place where he was surrounded by enemies. Do not, listener, do not believe that the presence of adversaries spells defeat. Indeed, submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from us. Amen. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Great is he who is in us than him who is in the world. Ron, if people want to get hold of you, how do they do that? Yeah, uh, get us at uh, get us at uh, streetcharge.com. You can get us there. You can go to Bishop of Souls. You uh, uh, can go there, bishopofsouls.org. Get us there. You can also pick up uh, some of our books and on, you can just Google my name, and they'll, they'll, they'll sell you a book on Amazon. Ron Kronz. That's R-O-N-K-R-O-N-Z. That's it. Thank you so much, Ron. Great to have you here. A final word for our listeners? Yeah. Uh, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Thank you so much. God bless, and good night. Next week, same time, same place. 104 FM, Radio Tigerberg.